Welcome to Well Fed, a podcast for hungry creatives. I'm your host, John Sarantino, a designer based out of New York. And on this podcast, I speak to some of my creative heroes to learn from their experiences and discover the ingredients to grow within the creative industry. On this episode, my guest is Emily Elise Miller, the founder and CEO of Off Limits Cereal and the author of Breakfast, the cookbook published by Fiden. When I first started Well Fed, one of the brands I looked to for inspiration was Breakfast Club, which was a project started by Emily. She used food as a way to start conversations and connect with new and interesting people, and I love that. Emily has always had a passion for food as well as art and fashion, and all three of those have now been combined to launch her cereal brand, Off Limits. I knew I had to have Emily as a guest to learn more about her experience and what it takes to launch a brand in a category that has gone stale. And yes, that was a dad joke. Before we get into the episode, I just want to share a few things with you. First, if you want to stay up to date with the podcast, you can head over to wellfedpodcast.com where I have all the episodes as well as videos and articles with tips for creatives just like you. Second, for this season, I just launched a Slack group that you can join by going to wellfedpodcast.com slash community. There you can share work and connect with other designers, illustrators, and photographers from all over the world. Last but not least, I'm doing free one-on-one portfolio reviews over Zoom for anyone that signs up for the newsletter on the website, wellfedpodcast.com. I've already had a few of these with listeners, and we've talked about things like getting more clients, ways to present your work on your website, and a bunch of other topics. All you have to do is sign up for the newsletter over at wellfedpodcast.com. Now that we got that out of the way, I hope you enjoy this episode. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Well Fed. I am very excited to learn more about your your career, your experience, especially leading up to starting Off Limits, which I am super excited to learn more about as well. Um, but before we get into the episode, I'd like to ask uh, all my guests five questions uh, in 50 seconds. And if you're ready, I'll go ahead and ask the first question. Yeah, excited to be here. Ask away. Awesome. <laughs> if you had to give up bread or cheese, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> um cheese i can't bread and butter is like I, I can't live without that that's like maybe the most perfect food uh what's your sign leo cat or dog dog definitely if you could eat one thing every day for the rest of your life what would it be i mean i have to say cereal <laughs> i think yeah because cereal is like in any meal if you have it with milk you can make really cool baked goods and desserts and things like that with it. You can eat it dry as a snack. It's like very versatile. I feel like I wouldn't get tired of it. Very. I I wasn't even thinking about the versatility side of baking with cereal. So that's very cool. And last question, uh, Spotify or Apple music? Uh, Spotify. Does anybody say Apple music? <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to give that away necessarily. You have to go back and listen to all the episodes, but I would say a majority are Spotify users. Um, what was the last thing that you listened to on Spotify? Um, uh, probably Glass Animals without looking. It's most likely that. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, Emily, thank you so much for joining me. Um, are you also based in New York? I am, yes. On this gray, crappy Sunday after we just had like beautiful weather yesterday. Yeah, and I forced myself to go outside for a little walk today, too. So I was proud that I even did that when it was spitting outside. Got on you. Yeah, put on the rain jacket and just kind of like get through it, right? Yeah. Um, Were you, have you always grown up in the New York area? Are you originally from New York? Um, I grew up between Arizona and Hawaii, mostly in Arizona, and then moved to New York for college. I went to school for fashion design at FIT, so I just haven't left. I needed any excuse to 
get out of Arizona and come to New York. And fashion is one of the few industries that can't really be replicated anywhere else but here. So I imagine fashion in Arizona is very much um, decided by the weather and the humidity. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a specific scene. (laughs) What brought you to kind of study fashion design at FIT? I've always been... I've always been interested in creative fields. Like it's, it's kind of wavered over the years. Like I wanted to be a pastry chef. I wanted to cook. I wanted to be an interior designer. Like literally everything that I've even thought about doing has, has been creative. So, um, I really just loved the idea of being able to like create things and like create my, I was developing my own personal style at the time. And I feel like that helped me work through a lot of those kind of things. And there was just like a lack of creativity I felt where I lived and I wanted to kind of force that into my life in some way. So it it came out through fashion um, and went to school in New York for that. So it was, it was awesome. Um, But definitely ended up in a very different career path. Uh, My family is in the hospitality industry. My dad was in hotels. My um, grandpa my grandparents and my parents are originally from New York, even though I never lived here. And he owned an appetizing store on the Upper East Side. So I feel like food and hospitality has always been part of me, but um, deviated a little bit, learned a lot about fashion design, art, like honed that side of my personality and then applied that to food. Very cool. So it was almost it was almost like the lack of creativity in Arizona is what drove you to kind of want to learn more, not so much like some source of inspiration or anything like that. It was like, there's not enough of this going on in my life. Let me figure out where I can go to get that. Yeah, that was exactly right. I want I created the the environment that I wanted with what I was given, I guess. And you you also mentioned that your family has always been in hospitality and kind of the food industry. And I I'm guessing that's that stayed with you this whole time because, you know, you've gone on to, you know, start your own food uh, company. You've gone on to uh, create what, where I kind of connected with, with your work, uh, the breakfast club and things like that. But, you know, before we get into all of that, like you went to school for fashion design, what was like the path, like, or what were you kind of learning not only in fashion design, but about yourself during that time? Um, I learned really quickly that being a designer was not for me. And I felt like, mostly because I felt like designers working for brands were underpaid, overworked, undervalued, like all the things that I felt were really important just like for any human, but um, the environment just wasn't what I wanted. And I did internships like starting my freshman year. So I learned that really quickly, whereas maybe other people waited and just kind of focused on school. I used school as a tool to get myself to New York and then kind of checked out immediately and like just started caring about what I wanted to do after and what I could do outside in the industry. So went through varying like potential places that I could be in the fashion world, but fell into kind of the trend forecasting space. It was really exciting to me that there were groups of people who got to travel around the world, absorb everything from fashion to art, to culture, to food, and then make predictions based off of that and like recognize patterns. And I really loved that kind of practice and process. So I started interning for different trend forecasting companies and started um, freelance writing for different brands. And when I was doing forecasting, it was mostly fashion, but food was really starting to become this huge 
very like chefified thing that it was, you know, like eight years ago or something. Um, so they needed somebody who could talk really passionately about what was going on in the food world. So immediately I was like, I'm the friend who you asked for restaurant recommendations, even though it was all like fashion people who we were with. And I started writing about, um, food and chefs and, uh, like brands. And I, I never looked back. It like kind of spanned through other editorial pieces and I ended up traveling around the world, kind of writing and talking about trends. <laughs> I didn't even know that trend. I mean, like I've heard of trend spotters before and trend forecasters, but I didn't even, you know, I've never d- dug deep enough to know that there are like companies that are doing that specific thing. Like what are sort of the skills, I guess, that, that you would potentially require to like kind of get your foot in the door and things like that? I mean, it's, there's definitely a science to it, but I think a good skill of forecasters is being able to just take a step back and look at things, really understanding a global market from a global perspective, the way that trends kind of shift and like where they start. So you, you know, where you can start looking. Like if I want to know what's going to be on the shelves at Whole Foods three years from now, I'm going to look at restaurants in New York city and like new chefs and like what ingredients they're using, what types of food are, um, becoming popular And I mean, you can take inspiration from anywhere. A lot of it is just these people to some extent, kind of, especially when it comes to fashion, it's forecasters and people who pick like colors, deciding which colors are going to be popular based on all sorts of cultural cues, but there's nothing like crazy scientific about that. And then because all these designers subscribe to these services, everybody ends up with like similar color palettes, similar feelings, and designers will be on the same wavelength because they can absorb what's happening culturally as well. But forecasters kind of organize it into like really neat and visual decks and like put proof and case, case studies behind it on a global scale. And, um, work with like bigger brands to help them kind of make sure they know what they're, they're getting themselves into for the next few years. Very cool. So it's, it's very, it's like the organization of information and and synthesizing that down to like, you know, like you said, digestible like avenues and things like that and resources. Um, So very interesting because it's almost like this is the, like this sort of corner of the industry or of like culture is where some of those trends start essentially. I guess that's the whole point, right? Like, like how to kind of like be ahead of that and, and use that to your advantage at some point. Um, you mentioned that you start to kind of go freelance and start to write for brands and stuff like that. What's that process like, you know, or, or actually, I guess, like, what is the path? I guess you said you were interning for a ton of different, you know, companies. Um, at what point do you decide that you want to go on your own? Yeah, it was, it was kind of just what was available. I was writing pieces for trend forecasting outlets and it was all pretty seamless. Actually. Like I had a few media outlets reach out to me because they had seen some of those pieces, even though they were behind paywalls and started kind of expanding my freelance, um, market from there. So I was writing for wallpaper. I did a few pieces for eater. Like I always was very much a sliding scale across the board between art, food, and fashion, and all with a very kind of global perspective, because um, I had 
I wanted to like do better at my job. I wanted to travel. So I started writing for these companies and, um, left my apartment in Brooklyn, spent months at a time living in various countries, various places, and wanted a way to connect with people in those cities, like other creative people doing similar things, not only for stories, but just because I wanted friends. So reached out to some of the chefs and people who I was already working with and talking to. A lot of them happened to be like tasting menu restaurants. And I could never ask them to like have a gathering at night during dinner service. So they uh, decided to open their doors in the morning. So and ended up being this like really creative time to be in a restaurant because you're not really supposed to be there. So um, it was really inspiring and I think created a genuine connection between people. And that's, that's exactly how Breakfast Club started. I did a few of those and I was like, I love this. This is so fun. And the chefs had fun with it too, because they took a break from all the fancy food they were making and made like tequilas and just like food that they want to be eating in the morning. And there was something really special about that. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I think when I first started well-fed, it was sort of like this place of like one enjoying just the act of cooking for me, like myself every week and things like that. And so being a designer, I was like, Oh, let me start a brand about, or like, let me put some design assets behind this like idea. And eventually like, you know, I started looking for other brands that were like, you know, somewhat design focused or like had a mind for design a bit and were kind of packaging these like experiences in a way. And of course I stumbled upon breakfast club and I was just really intrigued. What were some of the, you know, I I've, I've seen some of the events through the Instagram and things like that, but like, you know, for people who aren't familiar, you know, where, where has breakfast club been able to take you and, and some of the things that you've been able to kind of create from that sort of platform. Yeah, it was, um, it's really surprising what happens when you reach out with a truly kind of authentic message and, and genuine ask, like I knew what I was asking for. I knew what was required of the restaurant and I was really conscious of that. And I think that's why we were able to get, um, so many amazing chefs to be involved. Like Enrique Olvera hosted one at Pujol in Mexico City. Gabriela Camara hosted one at Cala in San Francisco. Um, the second event we ever did was at um, Contra in the Lower East Side. So it's it was just such a genuine kind of thing. And people started meeting there. I met my edit, my later to be, I guess, editor at one of the events. And um I, she, so she was the, uh, Emily Takutis is the global kind of, or U.S. cookbook commissioner and, and editor for Fiden. And she ended up coming to one of our events. We stayed in touch like over the years and we were having breakfast, of course, like one time when I was back in New York and we just kind of started talking about doing a breakfast book. Cause I was just traveling and like on this high of like, how much incredible breakfast is around the world, but there is not one book that existed of all of it, just talking about it from a really traditional sense. So I, um, I ended up getting a book deal with them and it was part of their global kind of cookbook collection, which means there's a minimum requirement of 350 recipes. So my book's 380 recipes. It took three years to develop. And we had like 150 people from around the world. A lot of people who I met through breakfast club events introduced me to their aunts, their uncles, their cousins, their sisters, like helping me make sure that like the recipes that we had, the breakfasts that we were documenting were in fact like true, authentic and um, 
and something that people really eat for breakfast in those places. Cause obviously I couldn't travel to every single country, but I had been to a lot of them. Yeah. Geez. I mean, I, I, I remember seeing the book and you know, it's, it's a thick book. <laughs> it's not, it's not just your coffee, you know, your chat book or anything like that. And so it's really expansive. I, I didn't even realize there's a, a total of 350. So yeah, there's a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of conversations in, in, in that process, but between, you know, breakfast club, the Fiden book, um, I think also like, you know, I, I saw somewhere on the web, I'm, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Trends on Trends was also sort of, you know, your packaging of like the work that you were doing. You kind of seem like a great collaborator when it comes to like working with design and things like that. And I'm, I'm curious, like where that sort of like, what's that process like? You know, how do you kind of view it? And, and, and you know, where does the mind come or the idea come from to make sure that like those are sort of treated in a way that feels right? I just love working with people. Like I love kind of meeting people, like a lot of the collaborations that I have now. I mean, this is kind of jumping ahead a bit, but we just launched an ice cream with salt and straw off limits did. So we have a custom like ice cream cereal and I'm mind blown at this collaboration. It's seriously a dream, but I've known Tyler and Kim, like the founders of salt and straw for years at this point. Like we met in passing through so many different events and projects over the years. So it's just nice to like be making these friends over time and like have a career where it was my job to meet and talk to creative people. And anyone who I, I got along with, we thought we could vibe like just creatively. We always end up working together at some point. And I think my best advice for creative collaborations is to have patience because you can always tell when it's forced or when like something needs to happen because it, it just feels like it's like a brand mix or something, or it's like kind of strategic um, money grab Thing, but what you can really tell when both parties are genuinely excited about what they're doing. And that's what I've been so thankful for with Off Limits is that every collaboration we've done so far has been from such a true place. Is it fair to say like Breakfast Club kind of had like a start and an end? So like, you know, and at, during that process, like what, where does the idea to start your own thing? Like, where does that come up? You know? Yeah. So I, I had just turned in the cookbook. This was like early 2019, maybe it was late 2018, actually. Um, no, definitely 2019. Um, I, I turned in the cookbook, the cookbook was coming out like that summer. Um, I had just hosted what in my head was one of the last breakfast club events. And that was really because I was hitting a crosswords crossroads. Like I put thousands of dollars of my own money. And like, I was a freelance writer. Like I was not making a lot of money, but like, I just wanted to make sure that, um, all the events we were doing happened. And like, sometimes if I couldn't find a sponsor who believed in what we were doing, I would just like make sure that the restaurant costs were covered or like the general basic costs and things like that were covered because I just believed in bringing people together so much. And like, I wanted it to happen. So, um, after doing that so many times um, and asking for sponsorship dollars, I feel like influencer events started really happening. And it, I was in this weird mix of like, this is not an influencer event. I never really want it to be this, but like in order to get money from brands, it kind of needed to be. So I was like, I tried a bunch of events in a lot of different formats. I tried doing um, breakfast walking tours in the Lower East Side, which was so fun because that got to highlight like 
the insane diversity of food in the Lower East Side, specifically even just for breakfast. So I took Breakfast Club into a lot of different channels before I decided that this is not something that I can monetize as a career. And it's not something that I can personally fund my whole career. Yeah. At some point you got to say like, okay, it's burning a hole in my pocket and this hole hurts. Right. And I had done like 40 events. We had probably done just as many tours. So I, I felt like it had come to like a really, really organic end. And, um, then I was depressed and in a place where I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I don't have the book to occupy my time. Like my personal life was like blown up. My whole career was shifting. Everything I had known was kind of like done and coming to an end. And I just wanted something that I could focus my time on. I didn't want to keep freelance writing. I wanted something that I could just like be all in on. Um, and I, I had always thought about cereal. Like it's been like in the back of my head for a while, but I was like, oh my God, raising money, like starting a business. Like, do I really want to do it in this way? And I don't know. There was just this point where I was like, why is there only Kellogg's or Kashi? Like it really sucks that there's not, there's no fun in the middle. Like I want like ingredients that are not toxic, chemical and colored. And I want fun characters. There were no modern storytelling um, that came along with like characters anymore. It was like literally, I think a lot of legacy uh, characters that yeah, you grew like, up that you and I probably grew up with that just exactly. like hasn't changed. I guarantee you, Frosted Flakes could play the same commercial that they played in like the mid '90s, and as long as like the technology was updated, people would not really know if there was yeah, a difference. Totally. Like they just have done nothing to use the platforms that they have with these characters that they've developed to actually like be progressive in that way. And sure they have like charities and things like that going on, but like, there's not been anything like bold and new and breaking the rules and just boring. Yeah. It's yeah. So, um, the characters came first for me. It was kind of, the characters were built out of my like anxiety and like just emotional instability at the time because it felt like such a natural place for creative people. And that annoyed me too. I'm like, why do creative people need to be in such lows sometimes to like create stuff? So I created these two characters that were kind of like the split of that. Dash is this overachieving, super confident, like work hustle, ready to go all the time kind of vibe. And then zombie is like, sad boy artist like (laughs) super chill but like whatever doesn't is just kind of like hanging out goes through spurts of depression but then will like continue to feed the terrible habits that that come with that too but also your friend that like gets you out of your head like zombie will like know exactly what to do to make you like calm down and then dash is the one who's like gets you like motivated and hustle and like all of that kind of stuff. So the characters were really important. And then the flavors were inspired by the characters. So these two characters were before, like you even started to like raise money or anything like that, like anything concrete, it started from characters. Yeah. I needed to build the world in my head in order to know what I was doing. Like I, it wasn't just about starting a company for me. It was figuring out, what uh, kind of, I guess, like what I was doing in Arizona. Like I didn't really like what was happening around me. I had no control over it really. And like, I wanted to get control back somehow and 
developed this whole world where it was like the cartoon dimension and these characters live there and this is kind of how they exist and they they are like the ups and downs personified of human emotions that like totally. nobody really talks about <laughs> i could i could totally be friends with both of them and i feel right. like that's exactly where i live um at this like also so you know having experience as like a trend forecaster is any of that like being sort of like utilized in a way because it kind of sounds like you just like we're looking for an outlet to one kind of combine that passion of like design, you know, talking about food, talking about fashion and like looking to combine all those in a way that made sense for you. But also at the same time, you know, like I I know the world of like food trend forecasting is super big, especially like working in CPG myself. Like I know that's constantly a thing. So like, you know, I, I guess like where, where does cereal come into play? Yeah, it wasn't, it, it was very subconscious. Like I didn't choose cereal because I felt like there was a market for it kind of thing. It was, it was really real. I felt like it combined everything that I loved that I never had a chance to combine in all the things that I had done, which is art and food. And cereal is such a vehicle for culture. But again, like none of these brands have taken the liberty to update that culture. So I was like, I will take this on. Like, this is so fun. And at the same time, like when I was developing this, there were no new cereal brands. And I think even now there's like three cereal startups that have come out in the past like year or two years. And this is a huge industry. So it's, there's a really big barrier to entry when it comes to creating cereal far bigger than what I had thought before starting it. Like production is really difficult you're entering this market where there's exclusively mega brands. So if you piss them off, they're going to buy you or they're going to crush you. So it's not, (laughs) there's, you have to kind of tread lightly and we're here just kind of like poking at them a little bit. So (laughs) um, we'll see what happens, but (laughs) I've totally gone into, I mean, I think there was a moment where I was doing like Instacart delivery and stuff like that. And every time you'd walk through the cereal aisle, it is just wall to wall you know everything is like half kellogg's everything is like it's just like insane how much product is constantly stocked in that aisle and how much of it is owned by like a few select like basically players in the industry yeah and there's just there's so much deceptive marketing it's like they're perpetuating diet culture they're like pumping up the like ingredients that they have in there that they're natural and just using all this kind of health food jargon or like, see, we're good. Like you should buy us. And it just all feels so weird. So I don't know. It still feels weird to have a brand, but like, um, we try and be as anti-brand, anti-corporation as possible with a lot of the things that we do. We have a campaign coming out that, um, is very much going to be like that. So I'm excited. Yeah. So, so you, you, develop these characters, you decide on like cereal and stuff like that. I guess like, what's the process to getting this thing live? Like I very much so like hope to one day enter the CPG space and have that sort of goal in mind. And I'm curious, like, you know, raising money, all that stuff, like what is really that process look like if, you know, not to go too, I'm sure there's a lot you can go on about, but like, you know, what does that like really realistically look like, I guess? Yeah. I think a lot of brands and founders show this like super glossy experience and it's attractive. You're like, Oh, I can have my own business. This is so cool. Everyone's like successful and they have this brand and you raise can build money, your own raise thing. Money. Yeah. Like millions of dollars. Like, here you go. Like so easy. Great. 
it's literally like, it's the opposite. This is the hardest thing that I've ever done. Raising money was the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, it's, <laughs> you. I don't even know. I don't even, make sure you, you love what you're doing. What I don't understand is how people do this just for the business side of it. Like yeah. they love, they see a gap in the market and they're like business opportunity and do all of the business stuff because this shit is so hard. And if you don't love and believe in the product that you're making, and then you have to peddle it to people and you don't believe in that messaging, like, damn, that feels soul sucking. Like, I don't want to be part of that at all. So it's almost like a blessing and a curse to just be so obsessed with what you're building. Um, (laughs) because sometimes it's, it's hard to make those like business decisions when I'm just like, let's spend all of our marketing budget on animation and like make a mini animated series and like do all this stuff. So it's, um, finding a balance. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I mean, like, again, you know, you, I think, you know, the brand just released this like short series, you know, all animated and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, like this is like the reverse engineering of all the big brands and how they like put out commercials on TV. Like this is the new age of doing that stuff. And and so like where where does that idea pop in? You know, obviously, again, like being somewhat design centric and like wanting to do something cool in that way. Like where does this come from? Yeah. Um, again, it was kind of a day one thing. I feel like my investors are like, okay, remember you're a serial <laughs> brand though, because every time like we yeah, have we're punching up though. <laughs> yeah. Like every time we have brainstorms, I'm like, okay, but when we get our Netflix animation show, like that's going to go into this and then we can do all these other products and things. And they're like, okay, cool. But like, but right now what's happening? I'm like, okay, so if we're doing this right now, then I need little mini animated scenes like these characters are too weird to like not show their personality the best way to do that is through animation so we started working with team legend which is this um miami-based animation studio and i found them because um kid super if you're not familiar he's like this really awesome like new york streetwear designer and he did this animated series called scram on YouTube. And I just loved like the color, the style, the everything, like it reminded me of 19, like nineties cartoons and all the like MTV animated series, like downtown and like things like that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I just, uh, yeah. Like, so we were talking, I sent him a bunch of cereal and then talked to the team legend team, sent them a bunch of cereal and we all just got along really well. And now we're doing little animated shorts with them. I mean, it's also funny to hear, or not funny, but it's like inspirational to hear that like it doesn't end here. The goal is to, like get a Netflix series based with these characters and like you know go from there. <laughs> I think that's that's such a cool like way to to look at it. It's not just like what's in front of you. Like especially being a brand owner, I imagine it's like looking five and obviously having experience in trend forecasting. It's like looking three, four, five years out from now and like where you want to be then. Yeah, I mean, we're I'm looking at like okay, how how can we make like a cereal cafe in Decentraland and like weird, I, I like, I think more in the future and I need, which is helpful. Like that's how we're getting all these like collaborations because they take time. Like all this stuff takes a long time to build relationships and, and set up things that make sense for everyone. So I just kind of throw stuff out there enough and sometimes it comes back and then we do it. So yeah. <laughs> what is what is your team what does your team look like? You know, mentioning that you're kind of just throwing ideas out and I'm sure there's someone on the team that's like, 
okay, but we have a deadline coming up in a month. You know, like, how do we get to that before we get to Netflix? Like, you know, what does the team on Off Limits look like and, and how, how does it sort of operate? I feel like the best way I can explain it is kind of like breathing. Like the whole team, we're three people right now. So, and we all have like different variations of like insane creative levels to us. So when we have meetings, it'll like go off on tangents and we'll be like (laughs) in these like crazy spaces and we write everything down. And honestly, like then we'll have meetings like six months down the line and we're like, wait, we had this idea so long ago, like now is the time to do it. So those are really helpful, but then we all kind of bring each other back to earth a little bit, like based on all the like realities of running a business, like that never stops. Like we're still, I feel being really smart about, um, our kind of sales and like expansion strategy. Like we're keeping things really small right now, focused on building our community and culture and voice, and then, um, have some plans for like expanding and and that kind of thing as well. So the business side is of equal importance and like of equal creative value, honestly. You, uh, so you just did this collaboration with, um, the ice cream collaboration and, you know, like, what are some of your, I guess, I guess I would love to hear like what you have in mind for collaborations or like what would be kind of like a cool, you know, combination of brands between off limits and, and like, what is that dream collab almost in a sense? Um, I'm kind of working on one now. That would be a total dream. Like I can't talk about it yet, but I can tell you more about our other collaborations that are, are really different. So on the food side, we just launched with salt and straw at all of their locations on the fashion side. Um, we collaborated with one of our friends who has a UK based streetwear brand. It's called Tom studio. It's T O M M E. And we worked together to create this custom upcycled basketball bag. And it says off limits on it. And we launched it limited edition exclusively on the network app. It sold out in five minutes. That's cool. We were all prepared to like purchase it ourselves <laughs> if we had to. And like, we we're, were just like, like shaking, we right? You're just shaking at the release and you're like, Oh, God, I like, honestly, I was, I was so excited about that. Like that was the first time we were really like, okay, cool. Like people want weird cereal toys and partnerships and stuff like that from us. So that was, um, that was great. And then also on network, we launched, um, our artists, our first of our artist box series. So we worked with Greg Mike, who's this really amazing kind of like contemporary surrealist pop kind of street artist fine artist, NFT creator now, sure, yeah. like all, all these sorts of things. Um, and he has these really crazy characters. One of them is called Larry Loudmouth and it just like goes so well with zombies. So he basically did like a full takeover of the zombie box. He signed all of them. Like it's original work of art and his prints are like go for a decent amount. So um, for somebody to have a, a signed piece of his, for I think they were like 50 bucks or something, um, limited run. It was cool. So we're doing another box with Sophia Chang, who's incredibly prolific in the streetwear space and awesome graphic designer and working on a plan to kind of be able to work with a lot more artists in a more, in a, in a kind of faster, interesting way. So we have something coming out with that soon too. So any artists listening, 
shoot me a dm absolutely i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure a couple of guests also um you know be open to to collaborating and things like that but i want to talk about the website for a second because i think you know we're talking about how off limits has this like unique voice it, it is sort of like inserting itself and in being that like contemporary like um personality or like when you describe dash and zombie i'm like oh cool i'm very relatable to both those sides of those personalities and i i find them to be like a lot of people can can relate to that. Um, but the website also having that unique spin on it and being something different from like what's out in the market today. I just want to touch a little bit on like the fact that there are 10 stars around that website that you can find for a discount code. And I still cannot find like the 10th star. And I'm just like, you know, just putting it out there. I, I still haven't been able to find it. I'm having such a difficult time every time I look at it. So I just want to mention that. I think it's a great game because it's probably kept me on there for a while. And I could, pro- I could understand that Google Analytics is like, you're your visitors are spending 45 minutes on there <laughs> we actually really do have like a long <laughs> yeah i'm like That's wow so this funny. is great <laughs> People- i promise there are 10 um and that would definitely be our designer and developer um sam faulkner and kevin green like they took this project on for like just because they really believed in what we were building and in exchange for that, I said, do whatever you want. Kind of nice, thing. nice. So I think this is just like them projecting everything they wish they could do for all of their clients. Of course. Like I mean, that's site. like a creative job, like dream, it right? Is, like, right. hey, we'll take your brand project and make it gigantic and awesome. Right. So I promise there's 10 stars, but I know Kevin is not about to make it easy for anybody because <laughs> he's just like that, I think I so. get to nine or eight and I'm just like, oh man, I'm struggling right now. I, can't I got find you this after one. this. I'll help you find that. <laughs> Honestly, okay. I, I would need to play again too. Whenever I forget about it, I'll like try and do it. That's, that's <laughs> like, totally, where did you put that other one? <laughs> I, I would, I would love, love to find that 10th one eventually, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, Emily, before before I end the episode, I've been asking all my guests, you know, if they could send themselves like a time capsule, you know, write down a note to themselves of like, you know, advice or or some sort of like aspirational words, whatever it may be, you know, what would what would you write down yourself to maybe open up in a couple of years from now? Oh, a couple of years from now, I was gonna say yeah, not the past self. Um, I, I don't, I, I, you know, everyone does like, oh, what would you tell yourself like your 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 younger self? Like that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> Is it, I would say, well, for that, I would be like, invest in Bitcoin when like all of my friends <laughs> said that I should have gotten it. Yeah. I think, I think if I, um, if I go back to like my college years, my friend was like, Hey, do you want to put like 50 bucks into Bitcoin? I was like, dude, I don't have 50 bucks. Like, what are you talking about? But you'd also yeah. be like $500,000 richer if you did. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have, yeah, I would have been able to fund this on my own, which would be cool. Um, okay. For my future self, like be be kind to yourself like your emotions and kind of like the characters like the extremities in your emotions are going to be what like your superpower they're not like a crutch so it's um yeah probably something having to do with like use us here just calm down like it's okay like you can feel this way and like it's not going to affect your future like let it kind of fuel you fuel you versus hurt you awesome emily where can people find more of you where can they find more of off limits and potentially even purchase uh some cereal yeah so um my handle is just my full name emily elise miller and then we are eat off limits on every 
social and on our website and yeah try to find the 10 stars on the website and if you do tag both emily and myself <laughs> right please please and off limits emily thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate thanks it thanks for having me yeah This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey. Editing, mixing, and music are all done by my friend Kevin Bendis in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Definitely check him out. You can find out more about WellFed and where to listen at wellfedpodcast.com or on social media at WellFedPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.